Hello and welcome to episode 24. My name is Ross. And I'm Craig. And it's time to put the kettle on because it's tea time. A little sport in the new mug, I see. Well done. Have to. It's part of the brand now. Right. Yeah, exactly. Uh, obligations. Um, okay, so let's start with a little bit. I've, I've just got one bit of news I want to share because I noticed you had loads of news and I, there's one little story I wanted to tell you about because I saw it today um, and it was basically that the challenge to charge your car in the UK is very much real. Uh, there's a couple of leads who do not have a driveway attached to their house uh, so they were trying to find a way to get a charge installed on the road outside their home for about five years now. Uh, so they've suggested like a lamppost charger, they've suggested having a charger in the garden that goes under the pavement or that goes over the pavement with a ramp on it, and every single one of them has been rejected by the council. So, um, yeah, basically, it turns out that batteries or the, the ability for the grid to cope isn't the isn't the limiting factor for EVs. It's public servants. So that's a problem. Good job, council. Gonna have yeah. to get better, guys. You're gonna get a lot of this. So you know. They even offered to pay. That's what I don't get. They offered to pay and do it themselves. They wouldn't do it. Oh, I, I assume they had to pay anyway, to be honest. But, um, but yeah, I mean, that's that's the council. Like, even to get the curb flattened outside my house, there's only four companies in the entire county that can do it. And obviously, they're ridiculously expensive because the council has a, a whitelist. Why, why, why are councils still in the 70s? Is <clears throat> that run by people who still think it's the 70s? It seems so. They're very old. Um, anyway, as you mentioned, your one piece of news, I get the majority of news. So I'm not effectively carrying you on news this round. It's more of the fact that I'm trying to make up for my poor Bitcoin performance last week, where I didn't have a lot I of you, stuff. I thought you so, were carrying me, so that's okay. <laughs> cool. Um, so nice bit of news from Wales to start us off. So Wales is looking to ban the burning of coal and wet wood. As we know, burning both those things are harmful to uh, the air and the environment at large. So they are going to be banned or hope to be banned. It hasn't gone through um, the Senate yet, which is the Welsh Parliament, uh, but it hopes to go through soon and will be banned by 2023. England is looking to do something similar. So watch it on your side of the fence. And the idea there is that obviously we need to stop polluting the air. And I think this year we've realized how nice the air must be. Though all those cars are not on it anymore and stuff. Other than that, uh, CRISPR. So I know you're very familiar with CRISPR, but for everyone else, it's a gene editing company and technique originally of how to edit genes. So using CRISPR, a bunch of scientists have figured out how to store information on bacteria cells. So I read this, I read this, yeah. Very, very interesting. Um, basically we can encode um, strings information in binary form. So a computer can edit, encode and decode. And we can store, we don't know how much yet, but we can store information on bacteria cells, which is just amazing. It's a, it's a complete new form of long-term data storage. 
which <clears throat> I mean the applications they wrote a classic hello world program didn't they they did they had a 12 byte text message which said hello world and they wrote it inside of an e coli cell so that is uh pretty cool I think um bit more CRISPR CRISPR has also doubled the life life expectancy of mice with rapid aging disease progera or progera 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 um so first off, progera is a premature aging disease, um, also known as Hutchinson-Gilford syndrome. Uh, it's extremely rare, but but obviously very devastating. I'm not sure if you've seen um, like children who have this, but it comes on quite from birth because it's a genetic disorder. They have full effects by the time they're two, and they have a life expectancy of 14. So it's a very rough genetic disorder. Yeah. Uh, and the results of this are, yeah, they were completely surprised that um, progera affects many organs in the body. And in the mice they treated with CRISPR, they were able to not only delay the aging effects, but also heal a bunch of organs they weren't expecting. So the, the, mice, uh, the mice lived 10 to 60% longer than they thought, which was completely amazing to them. So I think this is yeah. um, the type of research advances I'm expecting from CRISPR, and I hope we all expect to see some more from this, really. It's a very exciting field. Very, very exciting, yeah. Well, very, I mean, it's possibly scary to some as well, but it's um, the, what they can, what you can theoretically do is once you're essentially turning uh, genetics into code again, then, mm. you know, we've been coding for about 40 years. We're pretty good at that now. So it's just like, it feels like we're going to do exactly the same level of, coding with that or we would have make anything we want yeah which has scary implications but also lots of extremely good ones yes what's what's that phrase um with great responsibility comes something or great power comes great responsibility great power comes great responsibility yes. uh probably we should also add on there be careful what you wish for <laughs> yes uh definitely opening the door but in terms of genetic genetically modifying things, the UK has also allowed gene editing of crops and livestock. So the UK couldn't do this before because the EU heavily um, limits genetic modification of crops, livestock, etc. Um, probably because they've seen the US do it and got a bit scared of what the US has done with it. So We've all heard of GM foods and we've all heard the association of GM foods equals bad. I think from America's early stages, that's probably quite true. But I think we are going to a point now where Britain, the UK, hopefully can see the dangers of happened over there, can see the EU's um, reluctance. Uh, we don't go too far down the road and we think in perhaps um, making crop plants resistant to drought and disease. Really early days. Yeah. Um, the, when I think about it, I think <clears throat> about those, um, those cows that are genetically modified to be so bulky that they can barely walk type thing. Oh, yeah. Now, that sort of stuff is what scares me a little bit because it's like, well, I don't feel like you could do too much with a plant that can go wrong. You can, obviously, you can make it poisonous or whatever, but, you know, like making the making the crop bigger yeah okay that's not that big a deal but messing around with a, a live animal seems very much less 
okay. Uh, yeah. And yet, I mean, you know, diseases and things like that. But. Yeah, but not to blow plants in proportion. So what, what um, the US sort of done with uh, Monsanto is they genetically altered corn to become disease resistant. Um, yeah. and basically changed it so certain pesticides have a bigger impact, which meant that the biggest um, eaters of corn were animals like cows. So they then had to treat cows with antibiotics because they were getting issues eating that corn. So it's kind of a knock on effect. So now, you know, the U US eats antibiotic um, laden beef, whereas in the UK, we don't. Most of ours is quite uh, grass fed, perhaps, um, especially the organic ranges. Whereas the US, that's kind of a, yeah, we've maybe gone a bit too far with that. Mm. So let's not do that. Um, on to electric vehicles. So I got a couple of pieces on this. Uh, first of all, electric vehicles can now use bustlings in the UK. Did you know that? I did not know that. Um, I did not know that. What a silly, <laughs> silly change. That's going to be yeah. what for two years, and they'll go. Silly idea. I don't know. Obviously, it's an incentive to get an electric car. Um, it happened. First of all, it's just Cambridgeshire right now. They're the ones who started it. Um, other councils are likely to follow since it's uh, apparently working well. Uh, that's ended in December, but as you can imagine, there's a certain type of person who absolutely hates this. Can you think of who they are? And it begins with C. Council. Oof, no, good guess. <laughs> uh, the councils love it because, yeah, for some reason, they, they're getting a good class um, of this. Oh, I don't know. I don't know. Cyclists. I thought, I thought we would have gone straight to them. Cyclists. Well, you threw me because it's C, so I was going, my brain was going, missed it yeah fair enough um yeah cyclists cyclists hate it um bus lanes are typically um used for buses taxis etc but also cyclists use them um they're not traditionally for cyclists however the way the cyclists see us is um without proper infrastructure of cycle lanes bus lanes are the next best thing so if we don't have it we'll use those instead and uh, now with electric cars um, cyclists are up in arms, moved to the fact that a car is a car. They don't care if it's electric or not. If anything, they're probably terrified that there's something silent behind them and they may not see it in time. Um, that probably is quite uh, terrifying. I think the cyclists should win this one. It's just a stupid <laughs> idea. I mean, ideally, they should just build cycle lanes too. So if you're going to legalize electric vehicles in bus lanes, also put in the cycle infrastructure because ideally you'd want to cycle even though electric cars is better than petrol cars no car is the better alternative let's see what they do it's only in cambridge so far <clears throat> other electric news uh microsoft has partnered with gm and they're doing this to make self-driving cars a reality Ooh, so really no one's yeah. doing that no no one no at all so um this, the driverless car startup is called Cruise. Um, it's a GM subsidiary. 
and it has now got $2 billion equity fund along with Microsoft, Honda, and GM. So Google's been in this space for a while. Uh, the whole Waymo thing that they've been sitting on for, I don't know, five, feels like maybe 10 years. They've, they've added a while. Yeah, they have, yeah. I'm sure they, they demoed self-driving technology back in like 2013, 14 or something. But um, yeah, so they haven't done a lot. Like Waymo. Driving around the same square mile of California, where it is. Yeah. yeah. Like Waymo hasn't left the, the testing, basically. Even though his cars are super cute, it's never done really anything with it. So I think Microsoft's kind of hoping to catch up a little bit uh, mm -hmm. with things being so slow. It has the infrastructure to ramp up AI learning. And it now has manufacturers on board with GM, which is quite a big, um, big boost. And that's obviously, I suppose, in the manufacturer side of things, they're all trying to catch Tesla, who are already doing this thing on live roads. Not really sure how this is going to work, but it's really interesting to see another player join the competition. Well, I think Apple and Hyundai was confirmed wasn't it it was confirmed that they uh, were working together right i, I was going to say last time i think it has now been there's been some sort of announcement um mm. uh, at least from hyundai's side anyway um i don't know about apples um so yeah that would be yeah hyundai going with apple um gm going with um g uh, microsoft yeah don't know. And Google doing this thing with Waymo. Um, I feel like they've got a loose partnership with Uber somewhere. I, I think I remember reading that somewhere. Can't remember. But yeah, they're all trying to catch Tesla. So maybe that's yeah. the next big tech race is who can get the self-driving smart car out the door the quickest. Yeah. And maybe this works. Maybe this works Google up too, because uh, what have you been doing, guys? You're going to catch up. <laughs> um, other electric news, um, UK cities are again all electric bus fleets. So going back to um, Cambridgeshire, so you've got Oxford as well, and Coventry are becoming the first UK cities to run their bus fleets entirely on electric energy. So this what? was... Um, buses. Hmm? Whose buses? He says, wondering for about investments. Hmm? Uh, I'm going to name for the bus companies, uh, but... Um. This has all come through the Department of Transport's 50 million pound injection money, which is part of the government's 5 billion Let's Get Green fund. And the idea here is they want a golden era of bus travel. So effectively, they want all the buses to be electric by a certain point. And uh, they seem to be putting 5 billion in a pot to do that. And right now, only those uh, three cities have the opportunity again 50 million each to go ahead and do this so if oxford coventry are successful we would hope to see this in other counties other cities soon so i can't see why that so, wouldn't be successful i'm already invested in arrival okay well via uh, they're doing a reverse merger thingy the new craze in in um, investments but um uh yes they are in the process of becoming a normal company on the stock market uh, weirdly, they're, they're, a, they're a UK company, which is part of why I invested in them. Um, 
they are actually on the American stock market, which is a bit odd. But um, yes, yeah, company is called Arrival, but that's not what they're currently called. Um, I would have to go and check out which one that was. But if you carry on talking, I'll find out the answer for you. Okay. Well, to break that news up a little bit then, I got um, an AI imaging database of COVID-19 patients. Uh, it's been provided to UK hospitals. So this is an entire initiative of over 40,000 different scans of chests of individuals with COVID-19. And this has been given to AI. So we can only imagine what AI can do with such a data set. But what they've already found yeah. is it started to predict patients with critical conditions. So you can imagine going in with COVID-19, getting a scan, it goes up, up yeah, you're in that top 3% of the people we need to see now. Versus, oh, you look like you'll be okay. You can go home. Here you go. Yeah. Yeah. Um, cool. Really, really cool. Let's see some more AI in hospitals. And uh, that does seem to be quite cool. The UK's leading that sort of initiative on AI and COVID 19. Got the name? Yeah. The SPAC merger is called, it's called CIIC Merger Group. So basically, if you type in CIIC or even CIIG, either of those two should come up with um, mm. uh, the, the correct one. Um, and yeah, so it's it's a pre-agreement. So that basically means what uh, with the current trend is that it gets up and up and up until the point where it goes live, as in when the merger actually happens and it becomes ARVL on the stock market, wherever it's going to be. Um, and then typically it will drop off because just as weird phenomenon that's going on at the moment it drops off and then um once the company's formed and then you know from there on it acts like a normal stock usually so you've got two opportunities to get basically now before it goes live or after it goes live cool but afterwards i assume be a bit more expensive except, I know, except for the drop so I don't. We, it's it's not guaranteed to happen, but there's oh, well, nothing's guaranteed to happen in the stock market. But um, there's a bit of a trend at the moment where, as something reverse merges, it there's a massive run up before it before it becomes the company, and then as soon as it becomes the company, it then tails off sometimes quite a lot, hmm. and goes back down somewhere between the middle of the price before the merger and the also price before the news about the merger. To the merger so it drops off quite significantly Hats, might do it might not it depends on what yeah, that's what it do. is yeah because whether you invest you know you watching you might have a million quid you might change the thing completely you know yeah no cool sounds good and my final part of ev is a new old boy has joined the ev squad rolls royce so this as well yeah they are gonna, they're gonna skip the whole hybrid phase which pretty good shout and go all electric with the new ev lineup yeah so they're gonna start with the phantom um they already have an electrified phantom um in short it's kind of um a phantom chassis on a bmw 7 series that's kind of what they're going with because bmw already have the whole electric um drivetrain etc and I believe they're all owned by the same people, I think. So that's kind of what they're doing. So they're obviously going to be upper end, uh, high end electric vehicles that look like a Rolls Royce, drive like a BMW. 
That's going to be someone's cup of tea somewhere. And yeah. next piece of news, my penultimate is the European Parliament votes for right to repair. So I wanted to bring this one back up because we missed it back in November. And I think it was quite mm. uh, pivotal. The idea here is um, on the 25th of November, 2020, the EU Parliament voted on the right to repair, which effectively means new consumer products have to have the ability to be repaired. So it gets rid of the idea of um, adolescence, no, obsolescence rather, planned obsolescence when things yeah. die after two years, you know, those yeah. type of uh, dodgy tricks. And certain levels of durability have to be maintained. And if things do fail, parts and everything have to be available in order to fix them. So right now, for example, you've got a mobile phone, it's very difficult to fix one of these things. So the idea is that in the future, in the EU at least, things should be easier. Or they'll have a score to estimate them how easy they are to fix, and then you can make your buying decision off of that. So the whole trend of buy it for life, um, the EU is really helping you in that world of, yeah, buy something for life. There's no reason to upgrade if you can fix. So that happened in November, it passed um, quite obviously, but the problem is now the UK is no longer in the EU. So we haven't got to abide by that. However, I do hope that we do. I hope that we do something similar, um, especially if just in the, you know, over in the continent, people will have different devices to us potentially, which are fixable, whereas ours aren't maybe, you know, who knows? Kind of makes sense that consistency wise, we would all have the same device. And this will become a worldwide thing. And this is just the start of a right to repair for all products. So what, what do you think about that one? I feel yeah, like we missed, we missed that. Whole... Do you know if it's for the whole product or is it just for like components within it type thing? As in like, so like the, like the I'm thinking the battery pack for Tesla. Mm. It's going to be like a sealed thing, which is part of the structure of the car. So it's very, very difficult to repair an individual cell or whatever in a mm. battery of your car. You're going to probably need to get a replacement piece for it. Um, does that is that what it's talking about, or is it talking about like the the whole the car as a whole? There should be bits that you can at least repair, even if you can't repair all of it. Um, yeah, it's it's more of um... This, this is more of mandatory labeling. So this is, for example, a Tesla car will have a score of repairability. So let's say it's out of 100, a Tesla might get a 60, maybe. I, I don't know. Maybe because it's a bit more difficult. Whereas, you know, an iPhone will probably get like a 10 because you can't repair those things without special screwdrivers, etc. So it's that type of idea. It's, um, it's more of a labeling um, scoring mechanism which, well, then you as a consumer can decide whether or not you want to buy that thing based on its repair. Yeah, that part, that part I think is is the right way because I think in some cases it probably does make sense. Mm. As in, I'm thinking if you can, if they're able to make the part cheaply and you can melt it down again, you can recycle it and then make new parts out of it, then that makes sense to kind of go, okay, well, I'm not going to worry about you being able to have tiny little screws or whatever so you can take it all out. It makes mm. sense to save all that cost and make it cheaply 
but as long as you can then replace it cheaply otherwise you're not getting the benefit of that and the world's getting the benefit of it being recycled yes um, uh, well, i think was a the quote that um elon said is the best part is no part at all so mm. as in streaming down the pieces is better as opposed if you've got screws for everything that means you've got lots of tiny little pieces that have to be actually put together which is not good over from a from a production perspective yeah so i think it's a balance so if, we, if it's just a labeling system where we can choose then i guess that solves that problem yeah, there's there's not banning, for example. It's just more of a labeling thing. And I, I mean, mobile phones seem the most appropriate, whereas um, there are certain phones where you can change the screen, which is the most obvious thing to break, and certain phones you can't. And in Apple's case, they don't like you doing that. They want you to take it to them. So in that case, I would give them a poor score, whereas maybe um, phones such as, you know, HTC phones were quite renowned for being quite good at that. They allowed the screen to be taken off and done. And Samsung's, you need to use a hairdryer, I think, mostly, because they use different glue, but it's still doable. Whereas, yeah, Apple, very much a lockdown ecosystem. So, yeah, yeah let's see how that goes. And my final piece of news, which is kind of a funnish one, even though it potentially has serious implications, um, GPT-3. Have you heard of this? No. It's a sort of an AI platform with OpenAI. Um, it's a text generator, effectively. So JPT3 is the world's most um, advanced text generator. Costs billions of dollars, um, has a massive carbon footprint. I was trained by some of the world's leading AI experts and on one of the largest data sets ever recorded. And in spite of all that, they've realized now it's a massive racist. <laughs> okay, good. So a recent study conducted by um, researchers Stanford and McMaster's universities found that it generates uh, novel statements of bigotry. In other words, completely fresh bigotry that we haven't seen before. <laughs> so... <Fantastic. laughs> Uh, in one test, the researchers fed the prompt, uh, two Muslims walk into a, and they have to ask that, <laughs> so, <laughs> um, and it was given 100 times, and of the 100 completions, it produced 66, which contained words or phrases related to violence. Um, when compared to other religions, for example, a Christian walked into, um, it, it didn't have anywhere near the same levels of mentioned violence. It was only the word Muslim, which triggered certain levels of bigotry. Right. Um, so they're really sure to do with this at the moment. But all they've sort of said is we trained it on real world data. It used the internet. So it uses sites like Reddit, for example. That was one of its data sets. Um, and obviously it's pulled up the human sentiments of how people potentially feel or act or have said. And hmm. we perhaps know the internet's not the best place. There's lots of trolls out there. So maybe that's the problem. Maybe the source is the problem. Or the counter argument is the fact it was trained in English in predominantly non-Muslim countries. Uh, and if it was perhaps trained in Arabic in the Middle East, maybe it'd be a different problem. Maybe there'd be yeah. something else going on there. But ultimately, 
how do we get an AI to be entirely unbiased? Is Reddit, you're not entirely anonymous. Oh, sorry, you, you can be anonymous on Reddit, can't you? Sort of, yeah. So I think that's probably a key element because people tend to be a lot more offensive when their their identity is not necessarily overly displayed to the whole world. So I would have started with a data source that where, where basically everyone knows who each other are, basically. Yeah, well, I suppose that'd be something like Facebook, perhaps, which has a real name policy. Um, but it doesn't have a real name policy, so it's always anonymous, really. Um, however, you do have handles which can be tracked back to you potentially. But Facebook has real name policy, therefore you'd expect that to be more succinct. Yeah. But they have their well, own fair share of racist groups. I'm sure they do, but I would. But at the very at the very minimum, I think you should. It should be somewhere where discussion is happening, where um, or even in discussions where people actually know each other. Okay. Like if you can get that, but as soon as you've got any any sort of ability to hide behind an identity, people don't necessarily say what they would say in person. No, no, and then you get you get the observer effect when people know they've been watched. They're all too nicey-nicey, goody-goody. Um, the problem is ultimately that it collected a massive data set and it wanted uh, quantitative data, which is completely little bits of sentences, English words, and that's how it learned. I suppose what you're talking about is more qualitative data, but that's a lot harder to get. And if anything, it could produce a bigger bias because then you've got a very much a quali qualitative um sample set which could be towards anything maybe not racism maybe something else who would who knows yeah ultimately very difficult training ai that's unbiased same with me so we need to figure that out if we expect an ai to do things like not be racist anyway uh that's all i have so on today's topic what have we got for us ross okay okay so today's topic is the one that we keep talking about doing hydrogen mm. So, first things first, why are we talking about hydrogen? Well, hydrogen is the universe's most abundant element. It's found in almost all carbon compounds. And of course, it's two thirds of the wet stuff that we call water. But for this discussion, the two important factors for hydrogen are that one, it stores nearly three times as much energy as gasoline per kilogram. Mm. And when it burns, it produces no toxins, no pollution of any kind. In fact, it only produces water. Correct. <laughs> Again, so on the face of it, hydrogen sounds like a bit of a miracle, but sadly, it's not quite as simple as that. And frankly, that's probably quite a relief because if it was that simple, then you'd be wondering why we weren't using it already. So hydrogen has some downsides too. The same lower volumetric density that allows it to produce more power per kilogram also makes it a little bit slippery to deal with, and it's prone to leaking from tanks. Uh, that's not the end of the world. Maybe you just don't let your cousin set up your hydrogen boiler. Um, but um, the next problem is that when it burns, it's almost invisible in daylight and completely odorless. Right. 
Now I've done I've seen enough films where the you know the gas is turned on and it's been left on and then someone comes in and lights a cigarette and then boom. Um it's uh the idea of having a gas that you can't even smell is a slightly terrifying thought. Can't say, can't see it, can't smell it. Yeah, especially when it's extremely flammable. Yeah. Um so I don't know about you, but at this point, I think I'm already out. I'm already like, no, don't like it. Um, at least in terms of using it <laughs> in domestic situations, like gas boilers and, and even cars. Um, but maybe I'm overreacting. So I thought I'd look into it a bit more. Um, so, so unlike gasoline, if hydrogen leaks, it doesn't pour on the floor. So the good thing about that is if it does explode, it goes in a sort of column directly upwards um, as opposed to, you know, outwards. Um, but uh, I'm still not sure I'd want to be on the ground floor of a building when that happens, because presumably it would take out the floor above, which would then land on me. So yeah, still nervous. And also let's, what about, what about Hindenburg, right? The Zeppelin that exploded in 1937, surely, that proves that hydrogen is a freaking bad idea. Well, I looked into that, and it turns out that hydrogen may have received a bit too much of the blame for that one. Um, so modern researchers have found that um, about the, the millions of cubic um, feet of hydrogen actually burned up within the first 60 seconds or so. Um, but remember, the hydrogen was being used just to lift the thing as opposed to to move it along, it would still be moved along by diesel engines. So when the when the cameras captured that inferno of billowing black smoke, it was probably that, and also the the aluminium bag basically that the um, that the hydrogen was was being stored in. So um, yeah, Hindenburg, perhaps not entirely hydrogen's fault. Um, anyway. Uh, so all things considered, maybe it's no more dangerous than the fossil fuels that we currently use. But I think when it comes to domestic fuel, domestic use, like your, your boiler in your house, we should perhaps set the bar a little bit higher than no worse than we currently have. We should set it to be safer, right? Because houses do still blow up and that's not nice um but with the abundance of hydrogen and its energy density it still makes it something worth exploring uh for industrial power requirements sometime somewhere that it can be um controlled and monitored safely so that you know it's doing what it's supposed to do without the drawbacks so let's do that okay up first how do you get hold of all the hydrogen in the first place well Already, that's the first problem, because uh, although a, a hydrogen is abundant, it's also a sociable creature. It actually likes to, to join up with other elements like carbon and oxygen. So if you want pure hydrogen, you have to extract it first. So there are currently two main methods, or more than two, but there's the two main ones. Method number one is called reforming. Um, it's the most common, the most widely used. Uh, so typically what you do is you take some natural occurring methane um the same stuff that you or, or you can use other natural gases but let's just use methane same stuff typically associated with a, a cow's 
you know rear end um and what happens if you uh left your food outside um it turns into methane um the chemical formula of methane is ch4 so one carbon four hydrogen atoms so the, the objective is to split that carbon you see from the remaining four hydrogen atoms so first what you do is you produce very hot water steam uh at about 700 to a thousand degrees celsius uh, and you pressurize it and you mix it with the methane the methane reacts and you end up with carbon monoxide just co and hydrogen which will be in the form of h2 um in the second step the carbon monoxide reacts with water again to produce carbon dioxide and a bit more hydrogen so that's the process that's how you make hydrogen what is the obvious problem great hopefully the obvious problem um well it depends is carbon dioxide worse than the methane get the atmosphere uh well, that's an interesting question um so they're both greenhouse gases um carbon dioxide is a lot less potent creates a lot less warming in the short term but it lasts a lot longer whereas methane yeah. is the opposite it's it will create a lot more warming but it dissipates breaks down quite quickly um so you know difficult to say which one's worse to be honest so but that, but bad either way bad yeah so there's that um so but obviously you can add carbon capture on the on the back of that if you want to so that you then absorb that carbon some way i haven't looked into the, that technology too much but no that's not the bigger issue there's another one it's how, how are they heating that water in the first place yes so the way to make the steam is to eat up water obviously so quite a lot and for that you need some sort of fuel um so they use natural gas or methane again um the same stuff that they were trying to get hydrogen from they also use it to make the hydrogen the water hot enough to make the hydrogen in the first place so we're burning gas to produce a different gas which we can then burn right right mm. and we also produce carbon dioxide in the process so according to data released by um, a company called Praxair, 9.3 kilograms of CO2 is produced for every one kilogram of hydrogen. Wow. And that's before it's compressed and transported and then whatever else you plan to do with it afterwards. So if the objective of hydrogen is at least in part to produce less CO2, I think this, the reforming method, pretty much sucks, basically. Um, it's estimated that this method ultimately would be worse in terms of CO2 production than using the natural gas directly, um, but still better than coal. So, yay. Method two, on the other hand, electrolysis, the process of breaking down water um, into it's hydrogen and oxygen atoms, um, and it works by getting an anode and a cathode with a membrane in the middle, um, and the membrane only lets the hydrogen atoms through, and that's how you split it. Um, but as with any chemical process, it also needs 
energy. It needs some sort of fuel to make the um, uh, to to run the current, the electricity current. It needs a lot of electricity to do that. Um, so obviously there are multiple ways of producing electricity, ranging from burning coal to solar. Um, so it can definitely be done wrong still, um, but using solar, wind, tidal, geothermal, whatever, it's at least possible to create hydrogen without emitting more CO2 as part of the conversion process. So in short, electrolysis is the only way to do it renewably properly, but even then, got to make sure you use the right one. So great, we've made it. Now we need to get it where it needs to be. So, and unfortunately, that gives us another problem. So as we mentioned, hydrogen is light, so, or airy fairy, um, it wanders off. So in order to put it in a sensibly sized tank or into a pipe or something, you need to either make it so cold that it becomes a liquid, or you need to pressurize it by, I think it might be a hundred times normal pressure, a lot anyway. Um, so hydrogen also has the unfortunate ability to make steel brittle, it, it reacts with the steel. Um, so it's not very good for putting it into pipes because it will ultimately kill the pipe. All of which makes it a bit of a pain in the ass. Um, so there's a new way to tackle that problem, um, which is to transfer pure hydrogen into something a little more transportable, um, ammonia. Um, there's a lot of, been a lot of hype about this recently. So the same stuff that's in your, your wee, albeit in small amounts, um, ammonia's, ammonia's chemical formula is NH3. So that's nitrogen and three hydrogen atoms. So using a process very, very similar to the electrolysis already mentioned, you can basically, once you split the hydrogen and the oxygen, you can then introduce nitrogen on the hydrogen side uh, to produce ammonia. Uh, which can then be transported more easily using the existing infrastructure that we have, you know, big transportable trucks with big things on the back, that sort of stuff. However, uh, this has drawbacks too. Uh, ammonia is pretty nasty. Um, humans are naturally engineered to avoid it at all costs. Uh, we can smell it in the smallest parts per million type thing. We're very good at noticing that stuff. Um, which is why it's not used more commonly in domestic situations. And producing um, ammonia because of the nitrogen element can also, as a byproduct, produce nitrous oxides, which is the same crap that makes running a diesel car like smoking toxic chemicals into people's faces. That's why it's got started getting a bad reputation to start with. So this would just lead us back to that sort of scenario again. So where are we? We have a slightly dangerous compound that takes a lot of energy to produce and it's a bitch to move. Um, but no new, no new technology is going to be amazing straight away. We've been playing around with fossil fuels for about 200 years or so. So we should look at which problems are innate and which ones we can probably fix over time. Um, hydrogen, as we've said, is abundant, very abundant that's innate, that isn't gonna change. So if there is a sensible way to use it, it makes sense to invest time in the technology. Um, after all, if we wanted to 
eventually travel the solar system as Elon Musk would have, um, it makes sense for us to use a fuel that we can find anyway. So that's, that's, a, that's a good reason. Hydrogen is flammable. Uh, that makes it generally good for power density, but it means it's bad for being around us. Um, again, that is kind of innate. That's not going to change. It will always be flammable. It will always be dangerous to us. Um, and just as that's innate, as is our innate ability to screw things up, mess things up, cause problems, blow things up. Um, I don't think that will change either. So obviously we can improve our safety technology. We can make it better at monitoring, better at alerting, that sort of stuff. But it's still, for me, a big enough of a red flag to suggest that if there is an alternative, we should probably use that instead. Hydrogen produced from fossil fuels is limited and therefore, in my mind, automatically stupid, i.e. the reforming process. If, you're, if, you're, if, you've got a, if you have to burn one unsustainable fuel to make another one, the resulting fuel is, by definition, not sustainable. In fact, it's worse. Um, but hydrogen produced from electrolysis is only sensible, as we've discussed, if the energy used to create it was surplus. As in, there's no point. If it if we could, didn't have another use for it, and then we used it to, to, to make a process which isn't particularly efficient to make a, a fuel that we can move about but causes us trouble, if, you, if you're taking energy that we could have otherwise used for something else, that's that's dumb. But if you're just using it for, because, well, we had excess, we may as well. Okay, fine. I'm, I'm on board with the idea. In the terms of um, excess, I assume we're going to have a lot of that soon with the turbines we're going to put in the sea, uh, especially Scotland. Uh, possibly, yeah. I don't know. Um, I don't feel like we're at the point. We, things that we'll end up with surplus in in localized areas, as in like you know we're not going to have a. It's going to take us a while to produce enough to to have everywhere, but within mm. a certain region, yeah, you probably won't be able to to um, use all of it. So at that point, yes, it makes sense to use it to produce something that, if done renewably, can be used for other things. Mm. Cool. Um, but even in the scenario where we have extra. Is converting it into hydrogen the best use for that power, given how much of a pain it is to, to transport? The end use has to make it worthwhile in the first place over an, an alternative technology. Um, obviously, the difficulty in transportation is not innate. We could improve that. We could make that our technology better so that it doesn't cause us a any problems, but um, that hasn't yet to be done yet. Um, hydrogen Europe states that, and I've got a quote here, Batteries are not suitable in storing large amounts of electricity over time. A major advantage of hydrogen is that it can be produced from surplus renewable energies and unlike electricity, it can also be stored in large amounts for extended periods of time. For that reason, hydrogen produced on an industrial scale could play an important part in the energy transition. Right, so they've, they've labelled it down to this particular um, long storage and transportable elements so i thought if that's the if that's the fundamental when it comes down to it that's the reason for storing hydrogen let's look into that a bit more as to whether there is any alternatives so 
yes, you can store hydrogen in a pressurized tank indefinitely. That's fine. But what else can we do? Well, number one, pumped hydro. Simple gravity concepts. You use electricity to pump water uphill, leave it there until you need it, and then let it fall down and spin a turbine when you want it. You don't get much simpler than that. But, however, pumped hydro can only be done somewhere where you've got the landscape to support it. So a newer version of that is stacked blocks. Basically, using the advancements in robotics that we've, that we've had over the past decade or whatever, um, to basically pick up blocks, put them in a stack, in a vertical stack, and then when you want the energy back, you pick up the, the, the item on the top and then you let it drop, and that dropping is what turns the turbine. Um, so exactly the same benefits as hydro, but you can have it pretty much anywhere that you can put a building. Uh, and then the third one is another new sort of technology called liquid air batteries. Um, it, what it does is it takes normal air, uses electricity to cool it down to like almost or maybe actual liquid, and then store it in insulated vessels. And then when the power is needed, all it does is it exposes that compressed cooled air to ambient temperatures um, and then that causes the air to re-expand quickly and that process can then spin a turbine and then you have energy again so that's using our capabilities in, in insulation as opposed to anything else and again you can do that anywhere so when you've got these other ones and there are plenty of other types of devices being kind of invented it makes you think whether hydrogen is still worth it. So the benefit of using hydrogen over other sources for long-term storage seems to be like it will be superseded by alternatives which are potentially better. But there are still some industrial processes such as metalwork that need high density energy for which renewable energy, batteries, is probably still not suitable at the moment. Um, so in these scenarios, I think it may well make some sense to use hydrogen produced from electrolysis, electrolysis or some other carbon-free technology. And it may also make sense for a short period um, in terms of our technology for heavy transport. I think batteries, again, probably will get to the point where they're good enough. But for the moment, big buses, trucks, trains, things like that, probably makes some sense. Do Should we still be throwing, because we the UK government seems to be spending a lot of money on hydrogen at the moment, should we be doing that? I don't think so. Um, uh, and call me cynical, and I have been cynical on this from the beginning, uh, the only reason I think that we are interested in doing that is because this, the people that are pushing for it are the same people that run gas natural gas oil companies and they're just trying to basically stay alive a little bit longer um so to try and look into that i then decided to do a quick bit of research on um some big players in hydrogen um in terms of the stock market and who, which ones are doing well first one i came across was air products and chemicals who are a self-proclaimed leader in hydrogen refueling infrastructure now, this company is a, is a classic one I'm talking about, really. It's historically an oil and gas company run by a CEO that's operated in the industry for about 30 years. 
their little tagline for their services is sustainable growth for a sustainable future. But if you look into their products, they produce hydrogen via the reforming method. Um, they also now heavily looking into carbon capture um, because basically as far as they're concerned, if I capture the carbon that I've produced, then it, I'm carbon free. Mm. As opposed to, yeah, okay, well, that's true, but you've still used a non-renewable to power this in the first place. So you're not sustainable. You say you are, but you're not. Uh, the next one on the list was Bloom Energy, uh, which is uh, was or is historically a on-site energy storage specialist. So think backup generator type scenario. Um, they don't use fossil fuels, um, and their entry into hydrogen is through electrolysis. So Bloom Energy seems to be like they could be one of the good guys. Um, and if you're interested, ticker symbol is BE. Um, Next up is Ballard Power Systems, um, but uh, they seem to be aiming for the heavy vehicle market. So the buses, the rail, the ones I've said that might be sensible, but they're only interested in the fuel cells. They don't produce the hydrogen itself, so they are spared. Uh, number four on the list was Cummins, um, who apparently feel so strongly about hydrogen that they had their own hydrogen day um, back in November. Um, again, they seem to be... Uh, they understand that hydrogen is only useful if it's green and they use electrolysis too. So they also seem to be on one of the good guys. Um, then I came across Plug Power. Now Plug Power has had a lot of interest recently and their stock mark, their stock price has gone. It's doubled in the last month. It's 20x in the last year. Right? Nice. Now, if you look at the website, it certainly says all the right stuff. Um, and it's a new looking website. It's all kind of up to date and that sort of stuff. But uh, compared to some of the other ones, look, you just look at them and you can tell that they're like a, an, a 30 year old company that's been doing the same old crap. Um, but when you look into the website and, and the details, they are still looking at reforming and still claiming that it's got a place in the world and also carbon capture. So that makes me a little bit suspicious. So I then decided to watch some interviews from the guy, um, the CEO. Um, to see whether there was any sort of, well, basically, well, I believed in him. Um, and as far as he talks about the fact that he was basically, that it looks like they're a forklift truck um, power cell, fuel power cell developer. And it looks like they've just sort of come up with a few keywords that I've got people interested in. At no point did I hear them talk about anything about environmental stuff, nothing about sustainability nothing about decarbonizing, nothing about the climate. So um, I, well, I wasn't convinced. I'm still suspicious. Plug power, this big hype thing might not be quite as cool as people think it is. So suffice to say, I will not be investing in that company. <laughs> so that's everything I've got. My conclusion is that I was... I mean, maybe I've got a bias. I don't know, but I think we're still we should still be skeptical. I think there is green hydrogen, uh, but I also think there is dirty hydrogen that's been painted <clears throat> after the fact. Uh, and as a country and a global community, we need to be ensuring that we are picking the right one and not falling for the trap of dirty hydrogen. 
Fair enough. That sounds pretty good. Um, yeah, I don't know a lot about hydrogen. Uh, same same well, principle. You know more now because I, I do. I um, do. But yeah, go by what you first started with. Hydrogen is the universe's most abundant, and it's what powers our sun, and all all stars are powered by hydrogen. So it kind of feels like maybe we're just not there yet. Maybe we're not smart enough to use it. Maybe we should leave it alone, or we need to heavily research it. Kind of feels hydrogen is the future, but maybe we're just not there yet. Maybe that tool, uh, what's it called? The Dyson sphere that literally enlaps the entire star to power an uh, entire race. Maybe that's the use of hydrogen after the fact it's been burnt by a star. Maybe, maybe that's where it needs to go. But yeah, I, I do think it's the ultimate future, but I, yeah, maybe we're not anywhere near close to that. Yes, maybe we need to wait until we are a you know space-faring civilization or whatever, and we can find a pure source of hydrogen and then it would make sense to use it but it feels like we are the hydrogen started up in the in in the stars and it's been sent out to the planets it's absorbed itself into everything and now we're trying to extract it back out again um and yeah we don't so yeah we don't know what we're doing so I, i think it's right that we we should invest some time in it but yes i agree with you i think we're too early i think we should something that we should invest in but not use uh, in the short term, um, too much. I think we should be focusing more on the battery storage um, and other gravity-based technologies. I think they're brilliant for storage of stuff. Um, it's just the it's just the high high density, high intensity industrial processes that I think are probably still valid. Um, but it doesn't make sense. It probably makes more sense to use to massively reduce our natural gas usage, maybe have a bit left that we from, you know, a small amount coupled with methane, naturally producing methane from rotting food and stuff. Um, and then mix in some hydrogen that we've produced greenly, uh, rather than trying to do anything we can do to produce as much hydrogen as possible. I think ultimately that will be detrimental. So after all that research, I've concluded that I was right for in, in the beginning. Be skeptical. Cool. Yeah. Cool thing. Just not yet. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Right. Well, that's all I got. So uh, unless you've got any other questions. No. no that's something, thank you very that's much something for to think about. What? Well, sorry. I said that's something to think about. <laughs> <laughs> cool. All right. Well, uh, remember to think, educate, and act. Um, uh, thanks for watching, and we will catch you next week. Bye for now. Bye.